Leviticus chapter 25. We're going to take our Bibles and go there. And we'll begin by reading verses 1 through 12. In the last sermon I taught on verses 1 through 7, the last sermon that I preached. I taught on Leviticus 25, 1 through 7. And today I'm going to be teaching on verses 8 through 12. Just straight Bible teaching. And I hope and pray that you'll learn something and be encouraged by Yahweh's Word. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, but it's not going to help us if we don't open it up and study it. Just like having a brand spanking new $500 fancy lamp in your house, but you never turn it on. That doesn't make sense. You turn it on, put the light bulb in, and it helps you in that area of, of seeing through the house. Well, the Bible's the same way. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. But if we don't get into that Bible and we study it, we don't study it. It's not going to help us. It's not going to light our way. We must know what it says. And uh, we should spend more time, I think, studying the Bible than we do. Leviticus 25, 1 through 12. Yahweh spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When you enter the land I am giving you, the land will observe a Sabbath to Yahweh. You may sow your field for six years, and you may prune your vineyard and gather its produce for six years. But there will be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land in the seventh year, a Sabbath to Yahweh. You are not to sow your field or prune your vineyard. You are not to reap what grows by itself from your crop or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. It must be a year of complete rest for the land. Whatever the land produces during the Sabbath year can be food for you, for yourself, your male or female slave, and the hired hand or foreigner who stays with you. All of its growth may serve as food for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Verse 8. You are to count seven sabbatic years, seven times seven years, so that the time period of the seven sabbatic years amounts to 49. Then you are to sound a trumpet loudly in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You will sound it throughout your land on the day of atonement. You are to consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be your jubilee when each of you are to return to his property and each of you to his clan. The 50th year will be your jubilee. You are not to sow, reap what grows by itself, or harvest its untended vines. It is to be holy to you because it is the jubilee. You may only eat its produce directly from the field. Yahweh bless His Word, His inspired Word to our hearts today. In the last lesson that I taught, I began to look at some of the claims made by a man named Jonathan Kahn regarding a mystery, quote-unquote, about the Shemitah. If you'll remember, the word Shemitah, it's a Hebrew word that means release or remission. And it's a reference to the releasing of debts during the sabbatical or Sabbath year. You can read all about that in Deuteronomy 15, a text I'll cover at a later part in this series of lessons. In Leviticus 25, 1 through 7, I didn't find, I'll speak for myself, I didn't find any hint of a mystery about the sabbatical year, but what I did find was some inspired information, some Yahweh-breathed-out information that he gave to Prophet Moses about the sabbatical year. And one of the things that we found was a point that leads me to believe that the sabbatical years begin in the spring 
and not in the fall. Jonathan Kahn's claims are based on a fall-to-fall year and not a spring-to-spring year. Thus, I believe his claims are based upon a faulty foundation to begin with. I want you to remember, Yahweh instructed the Israelites, his people, that when they entered the land he was giving them, which we saw from several Bible verses was the land of Canaan, they were allowed to sow their fields and to prune their vineyards for six years. On the seventh year, that stopped. When did the Israelites enter the land that Yahweh gave them? Well, in the month of Abib. We showed that from Joshua 5, 10 through 12, in the springtime. So when did they begin their yearly cycle of sowing and pruning? It would be in the springtime. Sure, there are crops that are planted later in the year or even in the fall. <clears throat> but that's not when the planting year begins. According to what we've covered thus far, and according to some further information that we're going to learn about today. We're going to learn some information in verses 8 through 12 that's also going to show us that the sabbatical years begin in the spring, in the month of Abia. But before we begin to look at verses 8 through 12 in Leviticus 25, I do want to make one comment. I want to elaborate a little bit on one thing just in case I might be just in case I may have been misunderstood in my last sermon. I want to make it clear that I am not, in these lessons, condemning anybody that's keeping some kind of land Sabbath this year. I'm not doing that. We had a brother come, Brother Brian Barnes. He came and shared about his ministry growing in Torah, where he has the young people come and they learn how to grow organic and all that kind of stuff. He was a beautiful brother, fine fella. I enjoyed what he had to say. He's keeping a land Sabbath this year. I'm not condemning Brother Barnes or anybody else that is doing that. Uh, Do I believe that the land Sabbath began last fall? No, I don't believe that it did. Uh, Do I believe that the land Sabbath began last spring? Well, that's debatable, but obviously my answer is no because anyone can come to my property and and see that I've planted various crops. Now, does this mean that I am condemning the Torah-observant brothers and sisters who are keeping a a land Sabbath this year? No, it does not. I'm not condemning them. While I am against what Jonathan Kahn is teaching in regards to this supposed mystery in the Shemitah, I'm not against anybody who seeks to obey the Torah to the extent of the knowledge given to them at a certain time in their walk with the Father. I respect anyone who makes an attempt or an effort to keep the law of Yahweh, even if currently I disagree with them on certain particulars or interpretations within that law. Why do I respect them? Because they're seeking to be obedient to that law. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we must remember, sometimes we are far removed from the unadulterated truth about a commandment. And we study and we seek to get back to the truth of that commandment. Along our path, though, while we are seeking and while we are searching, along our path, we walk in the light as it has been shown to us at a particular time in our life. 
For example, let me give you one example. I could give you many, numerous, scores of examples, but I'll give you one. When I first began to keep the Sabbath, I think it was back in 1997, I remember I worked at the Cross and the Crown Christian Bookstore, which is not existing anymore in Conyers off of 138. And I remember when I had settled in my mind that I was going to keep the Fourth Commandment and I went and talked to the, the bosses, husband and wife, that I worked for in the back room, and I told them I wouldn't work on Saturday anymore, Friday evening to Saturday evening. And they were very kind and very courteous and said, that's okay. And then next thing I know, everybody knew that I wasn't going to be working on Saturday anymore because the boss went and told everybody at the church. So, you know, that was okay. But I remember when I did that, when I went to the boss and and asked him if I could have Saturday off, the reason I did that was because I wanted to be obedient to the fourth commandment. Now, I did not understand everything in 1997 that I understand now in summer of 2015. I guarantee you I am a lot more knowledgeable now by the grace of Yahweh than I was back in 1997. But my heart had just as much of a desire, maybe even more, in 1997 as it does now because I was really on fire then probably a lot more on fire then than I am now. Maybe I've mellowed out. I don't know. In some ways that might be good. In other ways that might not be so good. But my point is is that my desire, even though I don't believe now that was the proper Sabbath day, my desire was to be obedient to the commandment. I was raised worshiping on Sunday, the Gregorian first day of the week. That's how I was raised. But I later had the choice of what day to worship on, and the choices that I were given was the first day of the week, which I believed to be Sunday at that time, or the seventh day of the week, which I believed to be Saturday. And because the Bible over and over and over talks about, remember, the seventh day, then it seemed like a no-brainer to me. I would pick the seventh day of the week that I knew, and I would keep Sabbath from sundown to sundown. There may be people today, or even back then, that would condemn my understanding. I'm not comfortable condemning somebody that is seeking to obey Yahweh's Torah even if they don't agree with me on the particulars. I am comfortable discussing it with them and sharing knowledge back and forth with each other, but I'm not going to condemn somebody that seeks to obey Yahweh's law. There's a major difference, and I stress the word MAJOR in all caps, between an unintentional sin and a high-handed defiance against Yahweh's law. You can read about this in the book of Numbers, chapter 15, And other passages in the law, Numbers 15 is a big one that talks about unintentional sins and high-handed sins. I'll explain that in a second. It is a given right now, I admit right now, that I'm engaging in unintentional sins in my life. Now, if I knew what they were, I would work on them. But that's just it. I don't know what they are. They're unintentional. See, I'm willing to, to admit that. I admit I don't have all knowledge of Yahweh's law. And so there's things that I'm doing unintentionally. But by Yahweh's grace over the past 18 plus years of my life, there are areas that I have been shown that used to be unintentional sins in my life. But little by little, Yahweh has granted me knowledge. See, Back then when I first began keeping a Sabbath in 1997, there were many, many other laws that I did not even know about at that time. But Yahweh, praise His holy name, didn't drop the whole law down on top of my head like an anvil at one time. 
I think a lot of times we want to do that to other people. We meet people, and instead of planting a little seed on one subject, we want to drop the entire law like a big thousand-pound anvil on top of their head and say, you're supposed to be doing all of this, and you need to know all of this right now. And that's not proper. That's not right. Um, Things I did not know about 18 years ago, I know fully about now. I found out ways to be more obedient, and I've slowly applied them to my life as I mature, meaning I grow mature in the faith not just in my natural age. I'm 34 years old. I'm more mature now, naturally, than I was when I was 15 and 16 years old. But I'm talking about specifically maturing in the faith. I'm more mature now in my knowledge and understanding. I remember I was asked questions back then. I still remember one day I was working with Brother Arnold out on the tractor, and I used to sit when he would cover up. I remember I was about 15 or 16, and I'd sit up on the fender, and he would cover up a job, and he would teach the scriptures to me as we, I was sitting on the fender, and he asked me a question one time about marriage and divorce. And when he asked me the question, I just told him, I said, I don't have a clue what you're even talking about. <laughs> well, why? I was young in the faith, see. I was what you would call a novice, what Paul would call a novice, a new convert to understanding these things. I didn't know. I didn't know the subject, you know. Praise Yahweh, we don't have to stay there, Right? We're supposed to mature in the faith, but I'm thankful for the gracious, mighty one that gives me time to understand and to progress. And th- now, see, that's totally, and you may wonder, what does this have to do? I'm going to get back to the sermon here in a second. That unintentional sin is totally different from high-handed sinning. And for those of you listening, by the way, of the phone, when I say high-handed sinning, I'm shaking my fist in the air at Yahweh for illustrative purposes. When I say high-handed sinning, I don't even refer to an intentional sin. Now, let me explain the difference between that. This may not sit well. I don't know. Maybe it will. But we all commit intentional sins. We do. I know when I wake up tomorrow, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as I love myself. And I'm going to try to do that. But there's days that I don't do that at all. I know to do that, but I don't do it. That's an intentional sin. I'm not wanting to do it. But I do it anyhow. Why? Because the flesh wins out versus the spirit. But I'm not going out. I'm not waking up and getting out of my bed and raising my fist at Yahweh and saying, I'm going to go out and hate my fellow neighbor today because I don't like what your law says, Yahweh. That's a high-handed sin. I don't care what you say about the Sabbath. I don't care what you say about adultery. I don't care what you say about homosexuality or about eating unclean. I don't give a care, Yahweh. I'm going to do it anyhow. I'm going to go my own way. That's a high-handed sin. And there are times in our life, brothers and sisters, where you may, even today, you may be committing a high-handed sin against Yahweh. And what I mean is, there may be a sin that you've become comfortable with and you've ceased to work on it in your life. you become so comfortable with it that now it's almost like second nature to you and you're committing that sin without caring about Yahweh's law. It's not as though you strive not to commit the sin. You commit it and you feel horrible and you confess your sin and you repent and you strive not to do it again. That's not what's going on. But you've become so comfortable with that sin that it's there in your life and you're no longer working on it between you and Father Yahweh and your relationship. That's a high-handed sin. If that's you today or if that's me today, we're in deep trouble. That's major. That's unrepentant. You know, it's similar, like Brother Tim brought out about homosexuality. It's, it's people, even in the 
churchianity in the church world that they're saying it's not a sin. See, and that's what makes it so detrimental. I mean, that's just like saying, well, it's okay, you can, I can hate Frankie. I can hate Tim. It's not a sin to hate my brother. That's ridiculous. That's ludicrous. Or I can go ahead and commit adultery. That's not a sin. See, those are when you do that, when you say that, when you twist the Bible, and there's some major gymnastics going on in the hermeneutical principles of a lot of professing Christians today, but when you do that, what you're doing is you're shaking your fist at Yahweh and saying, I don't give a care what you say, Yahweh. I'm going to do it anyhow. That's a high-handed sin. You see how that's totally different from somebody that wants to obey Yahweh's law, seeking to obey Yahweh's law, studying to obey Yahweh's law, but yet they come up with a little bit different understanding about a law than you do? That's different. That's like my brother Brian Barnes, who I love. He's a fellow believer. He keeps land Sabbath this year. I don't believe it's the land Sabbath, but I don't condemn him for doing that. Now, I may have gotten too far off track, but I think it was important to explain that. But my point is this. I do not condemn men and women who are keeping a land Sabbath this year, even if they're doing it from fall to fall. I'm willing to discuss the particulars with them as they're part of my family and Yahweh, but I'm not throwing them under the bus in these lessons. I'm simply sharing with you what I believe Yahweh is teaching us about His land Sabbath in His teachings and what I believe to be an error in this supposed mystery, quote-unquote, that Jonathan Kahn is teaching. So let's get to it. Let's get to Leviticus 25, verse 8. The Bible says, You are to count seven sabbatic years, seven times seven years, so that the time period of the seven sabbatic years amounts to 49. Okay. We're given some information here. Verses 1 through 7 taught us about what to do and what not to do on the sabbatical year, as well as when to begin the land Sabbath. We covered that in the last lesson. The Israelites came into the land of Canaan, according to Joshua chapters 3 through 5, in the springtime. That's when they got there, crossed over the Jordan, and they began to plant and to prune and then harvest shortly thereafter. They did that for six years. And then on the seventh year, they let the land Sabbath. They let the land rest. Now, they could eat from the volunteer crop on the sabbatical year, but not harvest. They had to eat from that crop directly from the field along with slaves and hired hands, temporary residents and animals, but no planting or pruning or harvesting, reaping was to be done. Now, in Leviticus 25 verse 8, the additional instructions tell them to count seven sevens, seven sabbatical years, and we know that seven times seven, I heard some young people, maybe it was Elijah, maybe Taylor, whisper, what's the answer to that? 49. All right, math class. Somebody has been paying attention in math class. Seven times seven is 49. But the verse actually spells that out for us in verse 8. At the end of verse 8, we see that the time period of seven sabbatical years amounts to 49. Let's look at Leviticus 25, verse 9. Then you are to sound a trumpet loudly in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You will sound it throughout your land on the day of atonement. All right. Follow along with me here. You come to year 49, 
which is a sabbatical year. It's the seventh sabbatical year. And there's a commandment. And that commandment is to sound a trumpet. And that word in Hebrew is the shofar. That is the ram's horn that's being sounded. And the command is to sound this trumpet in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month. That's when Yahweh says, sound the trumpet. And that should be familiar to us because that's Yom Kippur. That's the Day of Atonement, the Day of Covering. That's a holy day on Yahweh's calendar. Now, this is one of the reasons. Verse 9 is one of the reasons that many people believe the sabbatical years are from fall to fall. They say that since the ram's horn is sounded in the fall, the sabbatical year and jubilee year, which we'll discuss in a second, the jubilee, that's very key in this sermon. But they say, you sound the trumpet in the fall, so that year must begin in the fall. Well, number one, we've already determined in the last lesson that the sabbatical cycle began when the Israelites entered the land that Yahweh gave them, the land of Canaan. And that happened in the month of Abib. Secondly, I want you to notice in verse 9, if you believe in writing in your Bible, like me, underline this. Verse 9 calls the month. Notice what verse 9 calls the month in which the shofar is sounded. What is this month in verse 9 called? The seventh moon. Seventh month or moon. Like Brother Tim likes to say, moon. The seventh month. In this context, in Leviticus 25, the whole thing is about the Sabbath year. The month in which the shofar is sounded is not called the first month. Notice this. It's not called the first month. It's called the seventh month. Now what this proves, what this shows, is that the cycle of months under consideration in this context is the same cycle that Yahweh gave to His people Israel back in Exodus 12. Because the only way that this could be the seventh month, Yom Kippur, seventh month, is if this year began with the month of Abib. Obviously, if you're at the seventh month, you have to have six months come before it, right? Or else you won't be at the seventh month. Now, there's nowhere in this context that a new cycle of months is spoken about. Nowhere. Just because you blow a shofar on the Day of Atonement during the 49th year of a sabbatical cycle does not mean that a new year begins on the Day of Atonement. It just means Yahweh, for whatever reason He chooses, He wants that shofar blown on Yom Kippur in that 49th year. If we believe that a new cycle of months is under consideration here, that's adding to the text. That's not reading what the text says. That's adding something to the text. And it's just like the Jews do today when they call the new moon of the seventh month Rosh Hashanah. That's the popular name for Tishri 1, the seventh new moon, the, the moon that begins the, the month where we keep the Feast of Tabernacles. If you ask a Jewish person during that time, what's this day called? They'll say Rosh Hashanah. The Bible never calls it that. Not one time. But the Jews do. Why? Well, the main thing is, is Jewish tradition. Um, but a lot of Christians, a lot of Messianic people have followed that tradition 
and they call it Rosh Hashanah as well, even though Yahweh doesn't call it that. And that's because it's so much easier, it seems like to me, and I say this before, it's easier to get Christians to believe things that the Bible doesn't say than to believe things that it does say. People will follow and practice things the Bible never mentions. But yet you show them, well, we do this because it says it right here. And it's like, well, you know, isn't that in the Old Testament? You know, Why are you teaching out of the book of Leviticus? People say things like that as though Yahweh's word is not from Genesis to Revelation. What does Rosh Hashanah mean? It means the head of the year. Rosh is Hebrew for head, first, chief. And Shaneh means a year. So they call the new moon of Tishri 1 the head of the year, but there's not one single Bible verse that calls it the head of the year. Now there is a verse that refers to the month of Abib as Rosh Hashanah. And that's Exodus 12, 1 through 2. You can look in the Hebrew and the month of Abib is called Rosh Hashanah, the head or the chief of the year. So Yahweh says the year, the sacred year, begins in the springtime with the month of Abib. The Jews of today say it begins on Tishri 1. They call that Rosh Hashanah. And they believe the sabbatical cycle also is from fall to fall. So we have to make a decision. Is Yahweh going to be believed by us or tradition, something somebody says? What I also find astonishing is that the majority of commentaries in commenting on Leviticus 25 verse 9, Christian commentaries, the majority of them will say something like this. The seventh month here is actually the first month. Now, I've read Leviticus 25 many times. I've read Leviticus 25 verse 9 many, many times, probably a hundred times just in going over this section for these sermons. And I cannot find anywhere in this verse or in this chapter that says the seventh month is actually the first month. I can't find it. It's not there. Now remember, Yahweh is the one speaking. Remember verse 1. Yahweh speaks to Moses, man of Israel. And Yahweh calls this month that the shofar is blown. You know what Yahweh calls it? The seventh moon. He calls it the seventh in order. This again shows that this yearly cycle being referred to began previously with the month of Abib, the first month. Furthermore, notice even more carefully. Let's dig a little bit deeper. The shofar is not blown on the first day of the seventh month which in Hebrew is actually called Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah is the Hebrew name for the new moon of Tishri. That means the day of shoutings or the day of joyful noise. That's the biblical name for it. But the shofar is not blown on the first day of the seventh month. It's not blown on the new moon. The shofar is blown on the tenth day of the seventh month, like Yahweh says. Now, here, here we go again with some tradition. Are we going to believe what Yahweh says? Are we going to believe what somebody that makes something sound good says? I have watched many Jonathan Kahn interviews, and I've listened to his entire audio book. And he says time and time again, this is what he says, that the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, begins on Tishri 1 and ends on Elul 29. Elul 29, that's the sixth month on Yahweh's year, 29th day, the last day of the sixth month. Yet the shofar here in Leviticus 25 is not commanded to be blown on Elul 29, the last day of the sixth month, or Tishri 1, the first day of the seventh month. No commandment to blow the shofar to announce the Jubilee on those days. The shofar is to be blown on the tenth day of the seventh month. What does that teach us? Well, 
it should show us that the blowing of the shofar is not for the purpose of saying a new year is beginning right there on Yom Kippur. That would be odd, wouldn't it? Why would you begin a year on the tenth day of the seventh month on Yom Kippur? Well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Rather, what's happening is there is a proclamation being made that something is coming. Something is approaching. In this final sabbatical year in the cycle, year 49, Yahweh is giving everybody a heads up, so to speak, that the Jubilee year is approaching this coming spring, this coming Aviv. Now that makes all the sense in the world to me because of what takes place in the Jubilee year regarding how every man was to return back to their original family property. So when the shofar was blown on the Day of Atonement and after the festivities were accomplished in the seventh moon of the 49th year, you could start making preparations for the spring that was approaching the Jubilee where every family, every man would return back to the original property that Yahweh gave when they entered into the land in the first place. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Look at Leviticus 25, 9-10 together. Let's read it. Verse 9 again. Then you are to sound the trumpet loudly in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You will sound it throughout your land on the day of atonement. You are to consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be your jubilee when each of you are to return to his property and each of you to his clan. Now, as we've just been over, the shofar is blown on the Day of Atonement in this 49th year. Remember, your last sabbatical cycle would have been year 42. And then when you got to 49, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, the 49th year was the last or the seventh seven in the land Sabbath. And when that shofar is blown in that 49th year on the Day of Atonement, it is a proclamation and a consecration of the Jubilee year or the 50th year that will begin when the 49th year is over. Now you're sounding the shofar in the 49th year, right? On the 10th day of the 7th month, right? Well, that 49th year seems like a no-brainer, but the 49th year has to finish before the 50th year can begin. And when you sound it, you're only in the 7th moon, in the 49th year when you sound that shofar. So the 50th year is going to begin in the spring, all right? This means you'd have the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th months of the year to get ready for what would take place in the Jubilee year. So you have seven sevens equaling 49. Land Sabbaths will be on year 7, 14, 21, 28, 35, 42. And then the 49, year 49, would be that seventh Shemitah. As verse 10 tells us, the 50th year is freedom in the land. For all its inhabitants. It's called a jubilee in our Bible. The Hebrew word is yovel. Yovel, it goes back to the blowing of the shofar. It's an announcement, a trumpet blast that proclaims the upcoming 50th year. Now in verse 10, I want you to notice that the 50th year was a unique year. It was not a seventh year sabbatical. But it was very unique. And it's very key to understanding a big point in the sabbatical year. First, it was a year in which the Israelites would all return to their original family property. 
during the course, think about it, when the Israelites came into the land in the month of Abib, they had to battle there with the inhabitants of Jericho almost immediately after that. When they came into that land, you have a 50-year span here that we're, we're talking about. Well, during that 50 years, land would be bought and sold, sometimes numerous times between the inhabitants, just like we do today. The only difference was that Yahweh required the land of Canaan that He gave to Israel. He specifically gave it to that nation. He required that land to remain in the original way that He gave it to them every 50th year. So while throughout the course of years 1 through 49, you buy and sell and you live on different pieces of property, in the 50th year, all the families go back to their original piece of land that Yahweh allotted to them and you can read about it in the book of Numbers. We see this several verses later, if, you, if you're following with me. In Leviticus 25, look at verse 24. I'll just read this one verse. Or excuse me, verse 23. I'm sorry. Verse 23 says, The land is not to be permanently sold because it is mine. And you are only foreigners and temporary residents on my land. So Yahweh says, this is my land, I'm giving it to you. You can buy and sell, you can trade out during the 49 years, but when the Jubilee year comes, everybody's got to return back to the original family property that I gave them by my sovereign power, will, might, strength, whatever you want to call it. Yahweh said the tribes are to live here, thus, thus, and thus. That has to go back to the originality in the year of Jubilee. Notice what else takes place in the Jubilee year. Remember, it's a unique year. That's one thing that takes place on the Jubilee year about the family property that's unique. That never happens during the other 49 years. But I want you to notice what else takes place. I've ended up not using the whiteboard a whole lot, but hopefully we'll get to use it here in just a second, I think, um, to help out. Leviticus 25, 11 through 12. The 50th year will be your Jubilee. You are not to sow... Reap what grows by itself or harvest its untended vines. That should sound familiar. It is to be holy to you because it is the Jubilee. You may only eat its produce directly from the field. Now, we are seeing a correlation between the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, and the Jubilee year. The Jubilee year is a sabbatical year. It is not a seventh year Sabbath, though. But it is nonetheless a, a Sabbath year. Why is it not a seventh year Sabbath? Well, in order to have a seventh year Sabbath, you have to have six years of work in the land first. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Before the Jubilee, there's not six years of work in the land. There's six years of work in the land and a seventh year Sabbath. And then a Jubilee, they're in that last part of the 50-year cycle. The same laws about not planting and harvesting and not pruning apply for the 50th year just like they did for year 49. So if you look up here on the board, let's write all these work years. Here in the middle, and I've circled the sabbatical years. Remember year 42, that comes in a cycle of sevens from the beginning. Seven times six is, Taylor? Forty-nine. Forty-two. Oh, oh, 
<laughs> seven times six. Seven times six is 42. Thank you. 42. And then you have your work years. 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48. There's six of those. And then you have a sabbatical year, year 49. That's a seventh year Sabbath. But then on year 50, you have another Sabbath year, not a seventh year Sabbath, but you have a Sabbath year, follow year 49. And so what you have right here is something that is unique. You have a back-to-back land Sabbath there in that last uh, years of the cycle. Year 50 was just like year 49 and not planting or pruning or harvesting. And that is key. The reason that's key is because I've heard many people, including Jonathan Kahn, but many other people, as a matter of fact, most, most groups that I've ever heard or talked to about the sabbatical year say this, and they make their calculations based on this. They say over and over again that the Shemitah, or the land Sabbath, is every seven years. If you read Khan's book, you'll see that he says that over and over again. And I want to say today that I do not agree with that statement. I do not believe that the land Sabbath is every seven years. Now, obviously, I believe those first seven Sabbaths are consecutive. But there's something that happens when the year of Jubilee comes. What is significant here, before I explain myself, is that Jonathan Kahn's supposed mystery, it's not in the Bible, but he's come up with this mystery, it is based not only on a fall-to-fall regulation, which I think we've seen is incorrect, but it's also based on an unending seven-year cycle. A sabbatical cycle that has no point of pause or interruption. And such a cycle cannot be found in Scripture. Let me explain. We've learned that when the Israelites came into the land, there was to be how many years of planting, pruning, and harvesting? How many? Six years. Six years. After that was the seventh year. That was the first land Sabbath. And then what followed after that seventh year land Sabbath? You know what followed that? Six more years of planting. And then a seventh year Sabbath on year 14. Then after year 14... Six more years of planting and a Sabbath on year 21. And then the same thing for 28, 35, 42, and 49. All of those seventh year land Sabbaths are consecutive. There's six years of planting followed by a seventh year of resting. But then comes along this year, and we've seen there's extreme importance to this year. It's the year of Jubilee. It's year number 50. And it is another land Sabbath. We read in verses 11 through 12 that it's just like the sabbatical year. No planting, no pruning, no harvesting. Now let me ask you this. After the final 49th year Sabbath and the 50th year Jubilee, after that is over, let's write them down here, 49 and 50, both of them are land Sabbaths. After those two land Sabbaths are over with, What do you do? When you begin, let's call it the 51st year, just the year after that, what what do you start doing after that? You begin to plant. You begin to work the land again, right? How many years do you plant, you think? Six years of planting. I agree with that. You have one, two, three, four, five, six, and then that seventh year is going to be a land Sabbath. That's easy. That seems very easy to me. Very simple, very straightforward. I think it's very easy to see 
But the key is, is that you have a back-to-back land Sabbath in the 49th and 50th year of the cycle. Year 50 pauses the sabbatical cycle for an additional year. You can't start planting in year 50. You can't keep the cycle going because it pauses it. Yahweh says you've got to have another year where you let the land lay fallow and everybody's returning back to their original property. So the seven-year cycle pauses for one year and then it begins again. Six plant, one no plant. Well, Jonathan Kahn and most of the other teachers that I've heard teach about the land Sabbath and the Jubilee year, almost all of them that will tell you, they'll come up to you and they'll say, well, let's say this year's a land Sabbath. What they've done is they found, let's say, let's say, let's use the works of Josephus, where Josephus will talk about a, a, that year was a sabbatical year. And so they'll say, okay, well, we got something to dig our hooks in here. We'll look at Josephus and we'll start from there and we'll count one through seven all the way up to where we're at now. And we'll know based on that continuous cycle when the land Sabbath is. Well, what's the problem with that? The problem is, is that figuring does not take into account the Jubilee year. Let me explain further. If you count year 50 as year one of your next cycle, I'm going to show you how it's done by most Torah keepers. You have year 49 and year 50. If you count year 50, even though it's a sabbatical year, you count it as your first year of your next cycle. What you have, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, is you have only 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 years of planting in that cycle. Now that's what most people do. They count year 50, even though it's a sabbatical, they count that as the first year of the seven-year cycle. Does the Bible, anywhere in Leviticus 25, and I challenge you to study it, is there anywhere in Leviticus 25, I can't find it, that ever speaks of only five years of planting? It's nowhere in here. But yet everybody, just about, that figures the sabbatical for today has only five years of planting in their figuring for that cycle after the Jubilee. So this is why when somebody comes to me and says, well, well, Brother Matthew, we're in the Shemitah year right now from fall of 2014 to fall of 2015, I have to ask this question first. How do you know that? How do you know that? And I'm not trying to be too sardonic when I say this, but I need a better answer then, will the Jews have kept up with it? Because the modern day Jews right now are keeping a sabbatical year. I need a better answer than the Jews have kept up with it. That's not going to fly for me. That's not going to be sufficient for, for Matthew. I do not question people's genuineness in wanting to obey the law or of the land Sabbath of Yahweh. And I'm not trying to just be disagreeable for disagreeable sake. But if the cycle that we follow has not taken into account the Jubilee year, then it can't be a correct cycle. On the Jubilee year, we just read it in Leviticus 25, 11 through 12, there is no planting or pruning. 
If that year has no planting or pruning, you can't count that year as a year that you plant and prune (laughs) because you're not planting and pruning. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense to me. But yet you have people that, that do that. I don't question their genuineness, but I think that they're counting wrong. And when you listen to Jonathan Kahn, you'll see him do this. He'll mention a sabbatical like in the early 1900s. He'll say, well, 190 such and such is a sabbatical. And then he'll mention a sabbatical like in 2001. And he'll say, now this is a sabbatical too, in 01 and 08 and 2015. But what he's done is he's counted 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 continuously. And he's disregarded the Jubilee. But to him it doesn't matter wherever you put the Jubilee in because he counts right through it instead of pausing for that cycle. In order to know when the sabbatical year is, we must know when the Jubilee year is so that you know when to keep the double back-to-back land Sabbath before you start your next six years of planning. You've got to know when that double Sabbath year is. Very similar, the Bible doesn't equate the two, but it's very similar to when at the end of the month, I'm talking about the month, uh, the lunar month, after the last Sabbath of the month, you have the new moon. And according to the passage like Ezekiel 46 and 1, the new moon's not one of the six work days, right? But most people count it as one of the six work days. But it's not. You have a back-to-back Sabbath, see, before you start back working again. And so if the new moon is not a, one of the six work days, thus saith Yahweh, Ezekiel 46, 1, and many other passages in the Bible, Old and New Testament, then what's not a work day cannot be counted as a work day. This is the same principle here. What's a Sabbath year can't be counted as a work year. I think it makes good sense. So do you see how that there's more to this subject when we start to dig into the text of Scripture? When we don't just read it, but when we dig into it, there's a lot more there. We've already seen a few points in the first 12 verses of Leviticus 25 that a lot of people are ignoring. Yet now we have a man who wants to say he's uncovered a mystery about the sabbatical year that you can't even find in the Bible. And people are flocking to it by the droves. They're flocking to it. In other words, people are more preoccupied and worried about some quote-unquote mystery that the Bible does not even mention than they are about studying what Leviticus 25, Yahweh, actually does say. And I just want to encourage you. Trust Yahweh. Trust Yahweh. You know, there was a... I remember I read one time about this experiment that there was a college class that did an experiment where there were about 50 students in the class and the teacher had spoken to 49 of them and he said, I'm going to recite a question and I'm going to ask you if it's one of two answers. And when I say, is this answer correct, even though it's the wrong answer, I want all 49 of you to raise your hand and say, yes, it's correct. And there was one guy that was left in the dark. And the experiment took place, and when the one guy that was left in the dark saw his 49 colleagues there in that college class raise their hand, yes, to something he knew was not right. It took him a few seconds, but he went ahead and raised his hand too. Why? He felt pressured to go along with the 49. And I think that's what's happening to a lot of people today. There's some kind of 
fanaticism that comes with this teaching, and it sounds good, and maybe the guy that talks it is an eloquent speaker, and maybe he can make it, put it together real nice, because he's well-funded. But yet you, you read and you study Leviticus 25 and you show this point and that point and this point and that point. And people don't want to believe anymore what Yahweh has to say. But we, we cannot ever go by what we feel, what we want, what seems okay to us. We can't judge truth by those things. We get all our emotions wrapped up in something and it's not, it's not correct. Um, it's okay to be emotional about truth. Love rejoices in the truth. But I'm talking about letting your emotions drive you to something that is irreconcilable with Yahweh's law. See, As I've said many times before, I think earlier even in this sermon, it's easier to get people to believe something and to practice something the Bible doesn't say than it is to get them to believe something that it does say. So in conclusion... Number one, upon entrance to the land of Canaan, Israel was to plant for six years and rest the land on the seventh year, seven times. Seven times seven, 49. They didn't do it. We'll talk about this next time I preach. They never did it. And you know, that eats me up. But if I was back there, I'd probably went right along with them too. But they never did it. We'll talk more about that in the next sermon. They were supposed to though. Point number two, during the 49th year, which was a land Sabbath, on the 10th day of the 7th moon, the day of atonement, a shofar was to be blown to proclaim and to consecrate the upcoming 50th year, the year of freedom, the Yovel, the Jubilee. This is further proof that sabbatical and Jubilee years do not begin in the fall because the context calls the month in which the shofar is blown, remember, the 7th month, not the 1st month. Calls it the seventh month. Point number three, the Jubilee year, which is the 50th year, was a sabbatical year in the same way or almost the same way as the seven land Sabbaths that came prior to it. it remember, it wasn't a seventh year Sabbath, land Sabbath, but it was a land Sabbath, back to back with a 49th. But in the Jubilee year, there was no planting, pruning, or harvesting, just like in the 49th, seventh year land Sabbath. Thus, you cannot count year 50, which is a rest for the land. You can't count that rest year as year one of your next cycle. Or else you'll only have five years of planting in that cycle. And Yahweh never says anything about five years of planting. This in turn disproves, that point alone disproves all those who are basing their calculations of when the Shemitah is upon an unending with no pause seven-year cycle. Such is the case with, with Mr. Khan. And my last point, number four. In order to find out when the sabbatical years were for the nation of Israel, if we want to find out when the land Sabbaths were for the nation of Israel that came in the land under Yehoshua, the son of Nun, if we want to find out when those Sabbaths are, we would have to know the year that they entered into the land. When we know the year that they entered into the land, we would then count in seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Fourteen. 21, all the way to year 49. Then we'd come to 50 and we'd pause. And then after 50, we'd start back up again. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. That's how we would know when the Sabbath years were for the nation of Israel in the land of, of Canaan at that time. At least up to their expulsion from that land. 
their expulsion from that land. Well, remember, they were expelled from the land that Yahweh gave them. Why? Well, one of the reasons is because they didn't keep the land Sabbath. That's one of the big reasons why. The Bible actually tells us that in the book of Jeremiah. And I think also in the book of Daniel. That's for the next sermon. But another one was because as a nation, as a whole, they were cursed by Yahweh because they didn't obey the law. Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26, speaking to the nation of Israel, not necessarily to individuals within that nation. Because remember, when a nation, let's say when the whole nation as a general rule is cursed, you can still have individual Israelites in that nation that are blessed. Okay? Because they're obedient. But as a nation, they're cursed. And that's what happened to the nation of Israel. The cursings of Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26 came on both houses, the northern house of Israel and the southern house of Judah, and they went into captivity. They were, they were sent off into foreign lands for their sins. Assyrian captivity, predominantly for the north. Babylonian captivity, predominantly for the south. That's where Daniel lived almost his whole life was in Babylon, in a foreign land. Daniel was a righteous man, was he not? One of the most righteous in the whole Bible, really. But the nation was not, and so they had to be sent off into captivity. But there was always a remnant. There's always been a remnant, okay? So at least up until their expulsion from the land, when Yahweh spewed them out of the land that He gave them, we could know if we knew when they came into the land, what year that was. We could know when the sabbatical, the Shemitah year, and the Yovel, the Jubilee, we could know when they were until the expulsion of the land. And so maybe you might ask now, Brother Matthew, do you not believe that the same cycle continued after they were expelled from the land? Well, you have to come back for part three of the study on the sabbatical cycle. So next time I preach, we'll talk about it. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father Yahweh. Yahweh, I love you. I love your word. I love to study it. I hope and pray that there were some things that can be remembered and some nuggets that can be tucked away into the pouch for your people here today and also for those listening by way of telephone. Uh, Help us to love all of your word. Help us to remember that um, it's all inspired, it's all profitable for doctrine, reproof, training, instruction, correction, and righteousness. Um, including Leviticus 25. Father, I I have to think that somehow what's even happening in our nation currently today stems from people that don't read the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And, and Father, I, I pray that that we would not be boastful about our continuance in studying these books, but but Father, that we would recognize that we need to continue uh, we've got young people here that, that need to hear these things and uh, need to recognize that we accept all of your word. We don't cherry-pick the parts that feel good or the parts that we think are still valid, but we accept all of it. Even as your son Yeshua said, not one letter or even a stroke is done away with. And Father, I pray that it would be embedded into the minds, from the youngest mind to the oldest mind in here, that these books are still just as inspired today thousands of years later as they were when Prophet Moses first pinned them down into the book of the law. Um, Father Yahweh, may we continue to learn and grow in, in, in your land, Sabbath. And um, 
May Father Yahweh you bring us back here next time I teach uh, to continue this study. I pray these things through your Son.